As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to Allocation Disorder. I am Sam Stasekul, joined as always by Paul Tenorio. And Paul, we're in a little bit of a role reversal situation this week. I am the person on the show that's operating on one hour of sleep as we record this podcast (laughs) on Thursday evening. Um, The Seattle Sounders have won the CONCACAF Champions League. I was was there in Seattle last night. I am not in Seattle any longer. I'm back home in New York, which is hence the one hour of sleep thing. It was a late night and an early flight, my man. Um, But history made. For Seattle, for MLS, uh, they win 3 nothing in the second leg against Pumas to, to win 5-2 on aggregate. Crowd of nearly 70,000 at Lumen Fields. Just, man, you know, we, we talked last week about wanting to have a positive show. I don't think we're going to have any issues having a positive show this week, Paul. Yeah, I mean, I, I first of all, you know, some serious FOMO on you getting to experience that atmosphere, that, that you know, historic moment for the league, for the Sounders, Um I watched on my couch at home and it was cool to see the atmosphere and see um, the celebrations and uh, to hear the crowd during the the key moments of that game, whether it was after the goals or in, you know, when when the three star players of the Sounders were walking off towards the end of the game, which was the lead of your game story. Um, Really cool experience, I'm sure, for everyone who was there. And I think that it was, you know, something that could be an important moment in league history. That's still TBD. I mean, it's an important moment in league history. Could it be transformative? It's still TBD. But I I thought it was interesting that a lot of the players, a lot of the key characters from last night's game, that their answers indicated that they really believed this would be transformative. That, that, you know, maybe other teams and other players and other organizations seeing the Sounders do what they did could spark something. And, And, you know, I hope that's the case because... The Sounders are the standard of this league, and they have pushed the league forward before. And, and maybe last night's another example of them doing it again, Sam. Yeah, so we'll get we'll get more into those questions here later in the show. But we're going to start by just kind of focusing on what went down on Wednesday night in Seattle, uh, because it's notable on its own, and it's worth some time for sure. So game starts, and there's, there's nerves, but the crowd is um, overflowing. The noise was incredible for the walkout. It was really cool. 
you know, we've both been lucky to be at some really cool environments and some really cool matches over the years. I was at the final in Seattle in 2019 for MLS Cup. This one felt like significantly different, in my opinion, in the buildup to the game. Part of that is because the CCL is not a seven, eight month buildup like an MLS season is. It's a two month, right? And what, four games, eight games, whatever it is. My brain is not working great right now. You understand what I'm trying to say. Um, so there wasn't quite as much pop in the buildup. But once game day rolled around and you start, I, I walked to the stadium from the hotel that I was staying at. And it was a beautiful day in Seattle, sunny, not stereotypical Pacific Northwest weather, just gorgeous. Temperature was nice. And there's people packing the bars and, and, and it's like, okay, it's starting to build, starting to build. Everyone's getting into the stadium and you're like, this is for real. And it felt a little bit more, it felt like it had a little bit more of an edge than MLS Cup did to me in the crowd, at least at the beginning of the game. Like the, the stakes, obviously super high for MLS Cup. Don't get me wrong, but it felt a little bit different in this one in terms of this is this opportunity. We might not even be in this competition next year or the year after that. We don't know if we're going to be back in it. And we want to be the first MLS team to get this done, right? MLS Cup is a, is a great opportunity on its own, but you have a shot at that every year <laughs> if you're the Seattle Sounders or any other team in the league. So I, I thought there was a little bit more of an edge to it. And then the game starts. And things kind of went wrong for Seattle, like, right away. My boy knew who, man. Yeah, I mean, we all were thinking of you, you know, when knew <laughs> who went down. I mean, let's be honest. Like, how many people were tweeting at both of us just talking about the yeah. tragedy for Sam Stasekul? No no real concern for knew who's health, poor guy. Everyone's you know, worried turns about out, your... Turns out he was fine, so that was good. <laughs> yeah, but we were we were worried about the mental state of Sam Stasekul. I believe at that point in time, he messaged... Sam messaged our editors and told told them that he was leaving the stadium and was not going to file a game story. <laughs> Things were dire. But you know what I the, what I'll point out about the first 15 or 20 minutes what what happened there? Two injuries happened, knew who went down and then Joao Paulo was injured and what we know now, Brian Schmetzer just told reporters tonight that it is an ACL tear that he, Joao Paulo who was an MVP candidate last year will miss the rest of the season. It was an brutal, incredible brutal yeah, it's awful. And that, awful that loss turf, for them. that turf in Seattle has gotten a few guys now. Yeah, recently, uh, Eric Williamson last year. I think Sebastian Blanco did his up there as well. So anyway, yeah, and so you know what we saw was the depth of the Sounders, the trust right. that they have in the players that they brought in, and Sam, we, we talked about working this into the into the podcast at some point, but I really enjoyed Matt Doyle's piece, the blueprint on how Seattle Sounders build their roster. And what I thought was funny was that it, it became relevant right away in this game because, you know, it ends with speaking about the depth and, and be agnostic about where you find your depth and the players that they had found, the types of players they had found and where they got them from. And Kellen Rowe and... Um, Obed, Obed Vargas. Vargas are completely different paths to this point. Kellen Rowe Dude, and MLS 16 veteran. years old, Obed yeah. Vargas, coming in for the team MVP from last year in Jao Paulo. Maybe the key player in terms of what he does on both sides of the ball in midfield. And and was was he the man of the match? Like, no. But he he was, he didn't really miss a beat, and he, and he made some positive contributions. 16, Paul. Yeah, I mean, no player is ready to come in after 10 minutes. You know, no one's like no. mentally he, like you're he not was there. 30. He was 30 minutes that he came well, in. But you know, yeah. a 16-year-old just popping into the game, boom, you know, into an, a continental final in a key position for a key player 
and he he didn't look like the moment was too big for him and that was the not that a, was the biggest all. test for him to pass right like it was no there was no sense that he was overwhelmed and he went right in there and did his job and and credit to Kellen Rowe who was not supposed to play was injured you know uh i i saw an instagram post from uh one of his agents who was writing that you know they said look if you can give us 10 minutes maybe like that was kind of the plan for him and he goes in and plays 90 minutes essentially when you include the the injury time of the yeah. game so credit to him as well kellen Rowe, a, a seattle native seattle area native mm-hmm. and um but it speaks again to how seattle built this roster you know a veteran like kellen Rowe. now they're adding homegrowns who can contribute yeah, I mean, man, watch out if they start to produce more and more Obed Vargas, right? I mean, Jordan Morris is another homegrown, but, um, you know, I thought like this was like a microcosm of what has made the Sounders so successful. Absolutely. And so the first half goes on, Nuhu goes out early, Jao Paolo goes out about 20 minutes later, and it's it's kind of a junky first half for the most part. Pumas was fouling everything. I think they had 13 fouls in the first half. So it was just really hard for Seattle to get into a flow with the injuries and with all of those disruptions. Pumas wasn't really looking to get in much of a flow themselves. Um, they actually had the best chance of the first half for for a time anyway. Uh, it was right around the 30th minute. Washington Caroso, he got in, uh, beat Alex down to a ball at the spot and, and had a one-on-one with Steph Fry and, and lifted his shot pretty far over the bar it wasn't all that close but it was a good look for pumas and, and they were starting to get kind of get things going there was a set piece later in the first half where stefan fry made an incredible save on juan dineno it ended up being called back for a foul but it, it wasn't really like it took a while for that to set in in the crowd and and the crowd like gave this huge ovation to fry because he makes this one-handed insane reaction stop and I thought in in the press box that that kind of lifted the Sounders. And lo and behold, a minute or two later, you know, set piece of their own gets cleared out, recycled. Albert Ruznak played into the left side of the area. He squares the ball back. Xavier Ariaga with a nice layoff, by the way. Some solid center forward play from the center back, I thought. Um, and Raul Ruiz Diaz hammers one, takes a big deflection, <laughs> and goes in. And it's one nothing heading into the break, and it's like okay, they're kind of in a good spot here. So, I, Paul, I mean, what did you make of the what did you make of the first half? I mean, it wasn't it wasn't the prettiest soccer we've ever seen. It's not the prettiest soccer we've seen from the Sounders in this tournament. But once again, effective. Yeah, I mean, you're, you'll make fun of me here for this, Sam, but I've I've not been getting a ton of sleep. Um, and so I was a little worried with the late kickoff. And so I, I hopped on the Peloton for the first half just so I knew I would stay awake for the oh. full 90 minutes. You were getting your workout in. I, I so was you, just, you, got, you got more fitness than knew who did last uh, Yeah, I did. A nice easy ride. It was very <laughs> chill. It was just like a, this is the best way to get my you know, endorphins going so I'm ready for the second half. And I was actually getting ready to text you from the bike that before that goal happened that I thought like it was a bad omen going in zero zero for pumas because they had their chances they really and the sounders did. didn't and they until no the sounders didn't and like it yeah. was it felt like a role reversal is what i was going to text you because we're used to seeing mls teams on the road in these continental games have chances and miss them and then you kind of get that feeling in the back of your mind like oh this is going to come back to bite 
MLS and Champions League, right? Like, you don't put those chances away. It's going to come back to bite you. And here you are in a final on the road in front of 69,000 people. You're getting good chances and you're not putting them away. 0-0 at halftime would normally feel like a win. But in that moment, towards the end of the half, I was thinking, man, they they missed their moments. Like, the Seattle Sounders are not going to play like this for the second half. Like, they're going to come out firing they're going to be they're going to want to show something and boom the goal happens right before halftime and at that point it was like to me that was like the death of the of pumas at that point like but it was over. except except it wasn't right and no. this is something that brian schmetzer talked about in, in his post game the first 20 minutes of the second half pumas were in control and they had what ended up being their best chance of the game in the 65th minute um stefan fry again a huge save caroso beat alex Roldan. Um, on the dribble, got to the end line, loft across to the back post where Diogo's hanging out, and, and that guy is a giant. He's six foot four. He comes in full head of steam, easily wins the header over poor Kellen Rowe, who is not six foot four and was standing still. <laughs> he had no chance on that. Redirects it to the far post, and, and Steph Fry, it, his only save of the match, Paul, technically, because that, that one that happened in the first half didn't technically happen. Um, <laughs> He makes a huge stop, um, and the Sounders kind of parry away the danger. Um, start to settle in a little bit more, I thought, after that. And then Rui Diaz makes it two in the 80th. And at that point, it's done. And it's it's party time. And that's when it got really cool with the crowd. <laughs> but we can talk about that in, in a second. Because that second goal, you know, we talked about the first half not being good soccer. That second goal was kind of like the Sounders at their best. Yeah, I mean, this is a team that is deadly in transition and you know transition isn't what always what like the third goal was you know it can be um obviously it can be moments during the game but i, I just thought it, it showed the connection of players across the entirety of the team um you know from the Roldan don brothers through jordan morris to ladero to rui diaz and yeah, it was beautiful. It was really pretty. I loved Lodero's touch, the way he opened his hips up to get that ball over to Rui Diaz in stride. And it's awesome. He did yeah. such a nice job of kind of staring down the far post and then swinging it into the near post as soon as, um, as soon as he saw a little sliver of space. And the celebration was killer, Sam. Right to go to the second team and the academy players and celebrate with them. That was that goal, right? Or was that the first no, goal? That was the first oh. goal. Well, I did yeah. want to mention that celebration because that was. Yeah. To me, again, also indicative of an organization that's really well run to, to celebrate with the rest of your your teammates who are yeah, so on the Paul, second let, team, the reserves. Back it up, back it up for the people a little bit. This, they have the field level suites behind the goal in the north end of Lumen Field, and that's where kind of the reserves. And are they, I can't even remember. They're still called the Tacoma Defiance, right? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> they're, they're still hang, they're, so like you have those guys. You have academy players who just won the GA Cup. They got honored at halftime of this game. Uh, in front of the entire stadium, which was kind of cool. Um, they're all back there. Watch, That's where they're watching the game. And Rui Diaz, he's flying, full sprint, like leaps over the field boards, and he goes to their suite, and they're like piling on him, and it's like a sea of humanity, and that was really cool. Although I, I think at that point was laughing because I don't even know who it was, but there was some Sounders player who was kind of straggling behind the rest of the group, and he picked up the ball and just punted it as far as he could into the stands. It was Jordan Morris. <laughs> Jordan Morris and and Paul, our buddy, our former colleague Matt Pence was at the game last night. Oh. And he was sitting. He was sitting up there in that area. And I, so I was texting him like, "Did you catch the ball?" And he's like, "No, it's a few, few rows away." <laughs> um, so anyway, uh, kind of a funny moment there. But to your point, it, it's kind of 
Garth Lagerwey got made fun of a long time ago for the phrase vertical integration in terms of what he wanted to do with the Sounders. Um, but that's what that is, right? Vertical integration from the first team down to the U-17s, the U-15s, so on and so forth. And uh, Raul Ruiz Diaz entered the game saying it was the biggest match of his life, on the club level at least, um, delivered with, with those two goals in, in a pretty incredible way. The second goal, I did want to make a call back, though. You listed, I think, half of the Sounders team in your little analysis of it. You did not mention Ruznak, who to me was like, I mean, without him, that play doesn't begin. He kind of like, he kept, he got on the ball, he kind of shimmied away, he found Vargas as an outlet, and then the attack progressed from there. But I thought Ruznak was excellent last night. Maybe the best player for the Sounders last night. And I, it was so important that he was because Jao Paulo goes down and he is such a focal point for what they do. And he is so steady and like so reliable, the sort of player where if you're his teammate, you know exactly where he's going to be, you know exactly what he's going to do. And you know that every single touch and every single tackle is going to be at a certain standard. Like you can just count on him. And Ruznak is the new guy and he's played well in certain moments for Seattle, but he's still new. And, and he doesn't have that kind of relationship where it's like, can we count on him like this in this big moment? And he showed last night or Wednesday night that, that yes, they can. And he kind of, I thought, made it a lot easier for the 16-year-old that he was playing alongside by just keeping it composed, keeping it calm. And that's what the Sounders run was about in many ways, staying composed and calm through a lot of adversity in different moments in the CCL and, and clearing past all of those hurdles. And, and ending up with the trophy. And and Sam, you know, something struck me too about the quotes after the game and Rui Diaz, you brought up one of the things he said, but, you know, he, a lot of those guys talked about how important that game was in their, their history at the club level. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I, I've just finished up a story today. Um, I've mentioned on this show before, the interview I did with Greg Vanny, and he talked about... You finished it. I finished it. Way to I go. Did. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, he talked about, like, you know, part of the DP structure is not just guys who can change the games. You do need guys who can who can change games for you consistently with goals and assists at mm-hmm. the DP level, in his opinion, Greg Vanny's opinion. But he also mentioned that you need guys who work hard, who are bought in. One, because they're better, you know, they're better than everyone else on your team. Like he, 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 he <laughs> talked really, this is really high level analysis. He talked here. around that. He didn't want to come out and just straight up be like, he, he's just, they're better than, than everyone else on the team. But that's what he was saying. And, and the reason that matters is because if you don't do the work, then you're putting more responsibility on the players who are not as good as you. And also when you are not bought in, that trickles down to the rest of the locker room. And mm-hmm. so it matters that the yeah. Sounders have DPs like Rui Diaz and Lodero who are fully bought in, who yeah. who care as much as they cared and have since they arrived. I saw Garth Lagerwey's quote that Lodero, you had it in your story, Lodero is the best player in Sounders history. And Rui Diaz talking about how much that game meant to him. And By you the way, Rui Diaz too. coming out looking like a college basketball player. Yeah. I don't he had cut some of the net off the goal. And he so he was coming out wearing the net on his head. Um, like some, like he was going to a Met Gala or something like that. But he was um, back in the MLS fashion show that they had, like the Dare oh, fashion wow. show that Major League Soccer did. Wow, you can Dare my 
Uh, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> but that matters, man, because like a guy like Albert Rusnak comes to Seattle not as a DP, right? He comes to win. No, he's a DP. Well, he he's not a DP this year, will be a DP next year, right? Or is it the other way around? I can't. DP this year won't be. Anyways, yeah. either way, he's you can buy him down, which means you didn't get him at the I, peak price. I don't he probably. Think that's true. I'm pretty sure that's the, the case. This is good. This is good podcast. It's great podcasting. It doesn't matter. The point Fairly is, Albert Rusnak went to untamable. Seattle to win, and he bought in. He's bought in already, right? Because he has to be. Because the the bigger name guys who are already there are bought in. It just creates this culture within the actual group that's on the field it's so yeah. important and it's it, how do you quantify that how do you find it i don't know maybe we can have garth lagerway on this show at some point to talk about it or chris henderson who was doing the scouting when those two players were signed i don't know how you know you're going to get that buy-in because i'm sure everyone feels like their dp is going to be bought in like that but man it really stands out when they are and and it really feels that way when you watch the sounders you can see how I much think- these guys care so Lagerway had a quote about it last night and, and he was bouncing all over the place in every single one of his answers. Understandably so. The guy was a little bit excited. Um, but he called it a virtuous cycle. Stefan Fry had a quote about it as well. And, and I'm just going to read it, Paul. And he was talking about the continuity. He said, because we have the continuity, these guys have all been together for years for the most part. The standard that we hold ourselves to is quickly absorbed by our new players. They're integrated very quickly. That's maybe why, why players want to come here. You want to play for your precious few years, hopefully for trophies. And we've proven and shown that generally speaking, we have the opportunity to get into those positions. And and the first part of that quote to me is the key part of it, right? So you have the guys like Lodero and Rui Diaz who have been there for a while and are bought in and do all the right things. And I would I would include Steph Fry in that group as the longest tenured sounder who's been at the center of so many of their big moments in club history. So he's there, he's setting the tone, right? And then you have guys like Jordan Morris and Christian Roldan who come to the club as young players, right? But are steeped in that culture. And and those are their role models and examples as professionals, those three guys, right? And some others as well that have since departed, Chad Marshall, Brad Evans, so on and so forth, right? And they begin to perpetuate that culture for the guys that come in after them. And it just builds and builds and builds. And then you bring a guy like Jao Paulo, who very much fits that same mold, right? And, and it continues on, and you get it to a point where they have it now, where those young guys have now become veterans, and the young guys you're bringing in now are academy players who've been in this culture for their formative years. They already know it by the time they get to the first team. And so it, it can just build and build and build. It starts... As you said, I agree with this. I think it starts mainly with those designated players and hitting those and getting those right. But it trickles down all the way through the roster. And, and Paul, I did want to talk about the third goal as well. Um, I just want to briefly yeah, say before yeah. we go, you were right. Rusnak is a DP. Oh, you looked it up. That's I did. Good. I, well, you know. Yeah. I have to admit when I'm wrong occasionally. I mean, I knew he was a DP. He's, he's not able to be bought down with Tam either, I don't think. Yeah. I mean, we'll see, I guess, when the salaries come out. Yeah. But. Um, regardless, um, <laughs> that third goal, Jordan Morris on the break, hits the post, rebound falls to Ladero for a tap in. The celebration was awesome. Awesome. Like Ladero rips off his shirt. By the way, Ladero is 33. The dude is like jacked. I was like, this, this man's still fit. This is pretty impressive. He's helicoptering it around his head. He jumps the ad boards and he goes up the stairs of the supporter section. And I immediately got a flashback because in 2019, 
after they won MLS Cup, he brought MLS Cup up those stairs and they were kind of like lifting it right in front of the supporters and with the supporters. And I'm like, okay, this is a nice little piece of symmetry. And I was sort of thinking he would do that again with this trophy. He, d he actually didn't. At least I didn't see it if he did this time around. Um, but he went up there and, and his teammates, he didn't even get to like the second or third step before his teammates like basically crushed him from behind. Uh, everyone's losing their minds. They're doing the thing with the flashlights on the phone in the crowd and they're sort of turning off some of the lights in the stadium. And it was so, so, so cool. And Rui Diaz and, and Ladero are like on the ground embracing each other for like a minute. And eventually he gets up, his shirt's still off and he sort of, you know, he did the, I think he did the messy thing unless I'm hallucinating that picture um, where he lifted his Jersey to the crowd <laughs> before he put it back on. And then you have the moment, Paul, where him and Rudy Diaz and Morris get subbed off for the curtain call. And what a perfect little uh, cherry on top of the Sunday. I thought another deafening roar from that crowd, which was awesome. The entire game. Yeah. Cool night. Cool night for the Sounders. Deserved night for, again, I've said this before. I'll say it again. The best franchise in Major League Soccer. They've done the best job. They've been the most consistent winner. They've pushed the league forward time and time again. They did it again last night, and it was fun to watch. That is the best advertisement for Major League Soccer you're going to get. That team, that crowd, that result. I mean, that's that's what the league is hoping for all the time. And, you know, that's why the Seattle Sounders are, you know, the team to watch in major league soccer every time they, they play, you know, they put yeah. on a show. Most successful team in MLS since they came into the league in 2009. Uh, and they're, they're still going. They ain't stopping anytime soon. It looks like, and by the way, credit to Brian Schmetzer as well. I don't know if we've really talked about him, but um, that culture stuff, a lot of that, it, it, like a lot of that is, is down to him as well. And I think that it merits mentioning. Um, so credit to the entire organization, Paul, you just said it. Um, class of MLS most successful team but but the best club I think for me at this point probably in MLS history when you talk about on the field off the field the entire package what they've done over the last almost 15 years now uh, pretty much without without peer so um, we'll talk more about what this means for Seattle for MLS uh, they have a Club World Cup that's going to be played at some point in the future <laughs> in some co country far far away <laughs> Um That'll be interesting, so we'll talk more about that in the next segment. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Welcome back to Allocation Disorder, talking Seattle Sounders, CONCACAF Champions League. First segment, we talked all about the Sounders. What an incredible achievement, and what a moment for that club. Um, but Paul, what does this win mean for Major League Soccer? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think even my mind changed a little bit watching the game last night, 
and listening to the way people talked after the game, like I said earlier in the show, like I think that it, I've always felt it has the potential to be transformative. I, I, I've wanted to emphasize the potential part of that statement, but in, you know, out of respect to our attempts to be more positive, like last night was cool to see. And if it was cool to see for journalists and fans and it was fun to watch and you you people wanted to be there, I imagine that there's a, a bit of envy going around the league right now. You know, mm-hmm. and I hope that it serves as motivation for clubs. The the question is, is it serving as motivation for clubs that, you know, are like only Atlanta and NYCFC and Toronto and LAFC who are already doing these things that are trying yeah. to push the league forward? Already motivated. Or, yeah. or does it serve as motivation for teams like... Colorado and Dallas and San Jose and who you can make your arguments for Dallas and you can make your arguments for Philadelphia of, of their model for success Co- or whatever they Colorado want to success. Too, for that matter. Yeah, but in Colorado as well. But like to get to that next place and, and like Sam, I'm sure you're going to say this next, but like I'm not the only one who thinks that, right? Like DeMarcus Beasley wrote a column on MLSsoccer.com where he kind of voiced that too. Like it takes another level of of ambition to compete yeah. at the higher levels, to compete with the with the best teams in Liga Mekis, of which Puma is not one. Pumas is not one, by the way. But to win these tournaments, that's what it takes, what the Sounders have done. Ambition with a real desire to compete at that tournament. And now they're going to go to the Club World Cup and they're going to be on a bigger stage Major League Soccer is going to be on a bigger stage than it's ever been before. And we'll, you know, we'll get to this a little bit later, but that's a big moment for the league too. That holds real implications. And so, mm-hmm. I don't know, after watching last night, man, my hope is, do, do I think that this opens the door for potential growth? Absolutely. Absolutely. I don't know where it'll go from here, but my hope is at the bare minimum that it's pushing Atlanta, New York, LAFC, those teams who are already trying, Toronto, that it pushes them to that next level to, to say, mm-hmm. okay, how can we be more like Seattle or how can we turn what we've done in New York or Toronto to get to that next step? Or, you know, Greg Vanny in, in LA Galaxy where he did it in Toronto and wants to replicate yeah. it with the Galaxy. So I have a couple of things that I want to hit here and, and hopefully I can maintain some level of organization with my thoughts. We'll see how it goes. Uh, yeah. um, I didn't do well at that. So the first the first part is, will this change? Is this going to be a watershed moment? No one knows. Everyone knows that if it's going to be, it's going to be because MLS teams stack victories. And this is re- repeated. And I think we can say now, Paul, that the teams like the Sounders and like the LAFCs, the ones that you just rattled off, they have the potential and the ambition to go win the final, right? And it just sort of comes down to what's the draw and what happens and, and all of these things. And those are those are, are kind of random and no one can really predict them. But they have the ability to go do it. So that's A. I think what I'm comfortable saying is what it will change is the ambition of those clubs, which is what you were just talking about. And I think it'll change as well the vibe of this tournament and how Mexican teams approach it. And I think that these things taken together will elevate everything right? There was a big element and there's some vocal people on Twitter basically like being like Pumas blew it for Liga Mekis, which is ridiculous on a few different levels. But the main, I guess, motivation there is that they wanted to save face. No one wanted to be the first Mexican team to lose this 
competition to an MLS team. <laughs> and Pumas ended up being that one. And so next year, right, League MX is probably going to come back, like, firing. They're not going to want to lose this two years in a row. And so that is going to then demand that the MLS teams bring it even harder. And and that's a good thing for the overall competition. Um, Stefan Fry had a quote after the game. He He was like, you know, I'm sure there's more than a few teams around MLS right now that are pretty mad that it was us that did it first, right? The whole Seattle invented meme, <laughs> right? <laughs> they they get to lay claim to this one. No one can take it away from them. Um, but I think I think there probably will be some frustration that other teams didn't get there first. And I think that will push teams forward. And I think what you saw in the stands last night and what you saw from Seattle is big, right? Because part of the CONCACAF Champions League is educating fans about it. Like, I remember when I worked at Real Salt Lake way back in the day. This was 10 years ago. And Real Salt Lake, that fan base knew more about CCL than any other in MLS at the time by leaps and bounds. They had made the final in 2011 and lost. But I remember putting together, like, content for the group stage. And, like, a big part of it was, like, explaining what the group stage was and how the tournament works. And there's still an element of that even today that the Sounders were doing ahead of this game with some of the marketing stuff that they were putting out there is explaining why this is important. I think with the win, there's a lot less of that, right? It becomes more front of mind for your casual MLS fan. becomes more front of mind for your player. Um, I think the Latin American players in particular have always been super into this tournament um, in MLS. I don't know that the American players always really, really have, um, at least not to that kind of overall level. I think that'll change with this. So I think you'll start to see teams really go for it more. And that gets to the point that Beasley made in his piece that he wrote for MLSsoccer.com. And I'm just going to, I'm just going to quote him. He says, it's hard for me to believe that this is the start of a new era in the CONCACAF Champions League for MLS clubs, especially when a Mexican team has appeared in every final since the tournament moved into its current edition in 2008. I think the individual player is getting better as far as quality in the league, but I'm not so sure about the ambition of the clubs. Which, I mean, apart from being a wild sentence to write on the league website. <laughs> There's one person who doesn't get that line edited out of their column, and it's DeMarcus Beasley. <laughs> as someone who used to work for MLSsoccer.com, I, I guarantee you that I would not have, that sentence would not have survived if I had tried to put it in there um, in one of my pieces. But he's right. You need to go for it. And he talked about it, like being in this tournament with the Dynamo and how they just weren't equipped. And so they didn't really try. And like, that's fine. But. You see the Sounders, they're not doing well in MLS right now. They're probably going to lose this weekend at Dallas. And they're going to have a hole to dig out of. But I don't think anyone in that club is going to feel bad about that. I think they'd make that trade every day of the week. And so I hope teams go for it more. I hope you start to see more of like, I mean, a European-style environment where Champions League becomes like the, the, the thing next to the championship and they're sort of on equal levels. Um, and I think that this gives the opportunity for that to happen. Yeah. I mean, you talked about the Latino players maybe appreciating the tournament more. It's because they grew up in a culture where those tournaments existed and mattered. Libertadores, Copa Sudamericana, you know, and so there is that tradition that exists the same way Champions League does in And Europe. the Club World Cup, by the way, big thing for those guys because they can go play against those clubs right. that are winning Libertadores. It's a proving right? ground for those yeah. players. And, and in this case, it's going to be a proving ground for an entire league. And that's really important. 
you know, the next layer of this, and, and Garth Lagerwey was talking about it last night after the game, it was like, it's so cool, we're going to play Liverpool in a game that matters with stakes for a <laughs> Paul, trophy. Paul, he was like bouncing up and I down. I saw it, when I he was saw talking. the video. Did you see him? the video? Yeah, I saw the video. He was, he was like giddy. He and was like a, a kid on Christmas morning. He's right. It would be really cool to see an MLS team play Liverpool in a game that matters, potentially. And like, Sam, we were talking about this before we started recording. Like before you, getting a, before you go before you go further here, I think we have to say if an MLS team plays Real Madrid in a game that matters, yes. um, that they would probably be winning like 4 nothing heading into the 85th minute and they would lose 12-4, to four, right? <laughs> well, whatever <laughs> happens, the point is, is like, there, this is a, it will be a really important moment for the league. You know, I, it makes me think of the texts I get from my friends who played soccer growing up, like know the sport, understand it, played at college. Some of them played at the college level. And knowing that I covered the U.S. men's national team are texting me during games. Like when the U.S. was losing to Panama, I'm getting text messages through like our the, the terrible Wi-Fi. Like, is the, what's going on with this U.S. team? Is like by, by the way, always more texts when they're losing. Always. But like, that was what was informing. Like, they were like, what is up with this team? What's up with Greg Berhalter? Like, they they weren't tuned into all the things that we're tuned into, right? Our world at that time, especially, was the U.S. men's national team. Just like our world is always MLS to, to a certain degree. Um, and we're so tuned in that we're like, oh, like, who cares if you lose Liverpool 7 nothing? Like, it's Liverpool or it's Real Madrid. But like, for from the casual fan, not just in the United States, but in this case around the world, that will be their impression of Major League Soccer. That will be how you get measured up. And and even working at the Athletic, it's provided this really cool perspective in a way of our colleagues in the UK and how they think of the league that we cover. And we we learn about it sometimes in the stories they write, like when Wayne Rooney left DC United to go to Derby before he became the manager. And they were writing about it like, will he be able to cut it at Derby after playing in MLS, which is a which is a lower tier significantly than the championship? And did it was, like, freak, was it? Did he leave whoa. before Zlatan went back to AC Milan? I don't know, but it was like, it was like did. a very clear. It was like a it, like I was like a little bit offended because I was like, you could have at least like t- you know sent some, but like that's how that's how the perception is, right? Like they don't know the level at all of MLS. And it doesn't matter. Like you, there have been all these interviews from players who have played in the championship and played in the U S who say, you know, who can speak eloquently about how the levels compare, but like the casual fan doesn't know that. Right. And, and so this is a huge moment for the league and see, and again, I'll say this again, I would not want any other team in major league soccer to have this moment, to be the one going over to represent the league. Like I have the most faith in Seattle to get a roster that looks worthy at least of being there that can be competitive, but it's, I think it will be I mean, a really important dude, moment for the league. We've already seen new who shut down Mo Salah once. Right. <laughs> what <laughs> a, know? what a real rivalry that's forming now. <laughs> yeah. Between new who and Mo Salah. Yeah. A real legitimate rivalry. You know, it's like the Liga MX MLS <laughs> rivalry. I mean, Ariaga, maybe he's played against Firmino in Conmebol. You know, like like Lodero, maybe he's played against some like like some of the some of the South American guys on Liverpool in in Com- or Lucho Diaz. Maybe Allison. maybe maybe one of their dads. You know, I don't know. Like yeah, maybe one of their Rui Diaz. You know, maybe he's played against some of these guys. Hey, 
No, I, but but on a serious note, Sam, it, it's it's going to be an important moment, and and I think in that way, like you're talking about educating fans about why this matters and what the the role of Concacaf Champions League is important because it's a measuring stick, and that's where mm-hmm. the struggles for MLS in Concacaf Champions League have mattered because you can't sell to an audience that you're a growing league that you're a league of choice that you're an improving league if you can't beat the mexican teams can we hold on can we ban league of choice no 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 because this is the podcast of choice it's on our twitter profile which was a great call by you this is the podcast of choice covering the league of choice i was talking to our friend david gas who those longtime listeners of allocation disorder will remember was with us on the first episode of the show. <laughs> yeah. Once oh, geez. I don't think that ever... Did that publish? It might have published. It no, published. I think it, published. it did, because you got yeah, in trouble got, for it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, we were talking in Seattle, and um, I just wanted to give him a shout-out, because he played a large role in the naming of the show, which has an incredible name, and I don't think he's ever gotten the proper credit for it. So, shout-out to Dave Goss. But, Paul, to your point about the Club World Cup, it's an incre- I look at it as an incredible opportunity, Right? Like if they go out and they get smacked by Liverpool or Madrid, like those casual fans that pay attention to soccer, but have no idea about MLS, that's just fitting their opinion already. Right. So you're not really losing much there, but you have so much you can gain. And that's a really cool thing. Um, In terms, I did want to mention one other thing. I think we talked about this maybe last week. I don't know. It's all bleeding together. But if you start to win this tournament more and more and the better you do in this tournament and the better you do in leagues cup, Next year, the more that Liga MX fans that live in the United States that don't necessarily pay attention to MLS, the more they have to take MLS seriously, I think. Or not have to, but the more more some of them will, right? And for a league like MLS that needs more fans and needs a larger audience, that's that's an audience that's right here. Can you take it, right? That could be really important going forward. Yeah, I mean, yes and no. I, I think I've made this comparison before, but I still think of MLS as UCF. And like UCF fans, <laughs> portals. Yeah, because UCF fans, they didn't really exist. So and who's who's the Bama in this analogy? Just so we can like benchmark. No, nobody this. at Liga MX is Florida. There's no Bama. No, Liga MX is Florida, Florida State, oh, Bama, wow. whatever you want to say. The parents went to those schools, and okay. the kids that went to UCF were fans of Florida State and Florida. Yeah, and and when they walked around campus, that's the gear they wore. And what happened was UCF became a good football team and they started to have fun atmospheres and the students yeah. went and watched a winning team and they became fans of UCF and and they stopped wearing the Florida gear and the Florida State gear. And now the first generation of those fans has graduated and is starting to bring their kids to games and their kids are being raised as UCF fans the same way the Florida and Florida State fan- parents raised those kids as those fans of those schools. And UCF is one of the biggest schools in the country. And so that fan base is growing and growing and growing. And now they're going to the Big 12. And now they're right? going to the Big they, they will be the biggest school in Florida. And it's only a matter of time and numbers. That's all it really is. And and MLS is fighting that the school same of choice. idea, right? They don't have the history, just like UCF didn't have the history. And the yeah. Liga Mekis fans, they're fans because their parents were fans. Paul, Paul, and their parents' parents point, were fans. To this point, we, we saw people at the stadium last night not just in Pumas gear, and there were a lot of Pumas fans, but I saw people in America jerseys, Pachuca jerseys, Atlas jerseys, Santos Laguna jerseys. Yeah, and it, <laughs> like, it's hard to turn those fans, right? You grew up on that team. You're not, Maybe you tune into a game here and there. Maybe now you go to a Sounders game if you live in Seattle. You know, I'll check it out. But their kids, 
That's who you're aiming for, that next generation. You're saying, we're worthy of you watching us and becoming a fan. And and in order to do that, you need to start to show that you are relevant, that you matter. And that's the competition that MLS is trying to figure out. If you want to watch a soccer game and you live in Chicago or you live in Seattle, your choices are limited. You go to a men's professional game or you can go to a women's professional game and you can watch in Chicago, you can watch the fire or you can watch the Red Stars. Those are your choices. But if you want to watch soccer at home on TV, you can turn it on and watch whoever you want and become a fan of Liverpool or Arsenal and that's your club or you can... If you're Bunker juniors or right anybody Bayern Munich, Munich you know yeah. or if you're if you're a young Mexican American kid then you say no I'll just watch on Tudene with my dad and I'll keep watching Atlas or Chivas or wherever from wherever you're from whatever team you want to pick right and MLS needs to start turning some of those fans into MLS fans. And these are the moments that you can do it. These are the moments that you can say, okay, start paying attention to me. And and so it's to me, it's less about getting the the established Liga Mekis fans to turn on MLS. I mean, you hope that that happens, but I think it's less likely. But it's more about can you start to build some of these newer soccer fans, whether they're newer because they're young or they're newer because they are coming to the game, into fans of their MLS teams that will watch these games. And I think, I believe that part of it, not all of it, but part of it is relevance internationally, showing that you are competitive. And that's why last night was important. That's why Club World Cup will be important. That's why sustainability of success in the Champions League is important and the League's Cup. The the most important. Yeah, and, and the League's Cup too. These are these little moments, and it's clear that the league understands that. Let's show how we stack up. Well, you better win. You better yeah. win if you're showing how you stack up. Yeah. Um, and we'll see. We'll see how it progresses. There's still a long way to go. You know, we I don't think we've mentioned really that the richest Liga MX teams were not in the tournament this time around, <laughs> um, which makes a difference. Uh, but, you know, I think what you said, Paul, was really well said just there. Um, and credit to Seattle again. Because and, and hopefully more teams push like they push, uh, because that moment Wednesday night, not just the game, not just the win, but seventy thousand people downtown in a stadium that isn't a soccer specific stadium, but it's not not a soccer specific stadium either, and and the whole city's behind it, and it's just so cool, man. Like I think we need we you and I sometimes we forget to take a step back and appreciate that. Because we grew up, you know, watching this league. We grew up, not even grew up, but grew up as journalists going to games, covering games in this league in 2009 was my first league, first year covering the league. First year the Sounders came in too. And it it didn't look anything like this. I can tell you that. And it still doesn't in most cities around MLS. So to get a moment like that last night where it's big time, legitimately, just so cool to see that and to be a part of it in some tangential way like you and I are. Um, so yeah, hopefully we see more of it going forward because that's ultimately, ultimately what we all want. This episode is supported by season three of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. 
Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Welcome back to Allocation Disorder. We have talked for 45 minutes about Champions League. We're not quite done yet, though, Sam. Almost. Grant Wall reported in his newsletter that... Garth Lagerwey, the general manager of the Seattle Sounders, is out of contract at the end of the year. Um, because of the unique situation that Seattle, the way that they work, there will be a democracy vote by the fans <laughs> as to whether or not to retain Garth Lagerwey. Uh, I, I, I think I like his odds. Uh, yeah, it would be crazy if he didn't come back. Um, but, Sam, this is, a, this is a GM who, in our anonymous survey of soccer executives... Um, received 13 of 21 votes in first place. The next closest person received two. (laughs) Not very close. He is considered far and away the best general manager in Major League Soccer. And he could potentially... No, not he could potentially. He will be a free agent at the end of the year, I guess, unless he signs an extension before the end of the year, which I don't think can happen with the vote. Right? I I, I don't know. The vote, I think... I I don't know exactly when it is. I know it's happened in the past as the season has been going on like in October. So it could happen after that, before the playoffs, or I guess that'll be mid playoffs. Um, Yeah. I mean, I I would expect that the Sounders do everything they can to bring him back. It seems like he's enjoying himself up there. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) the interview, the interview last night was certainly (laughs) a wild drive. I I watched that interview and him talking about the club world cup and how cool of an opportunity it was. And I was like, okay, Garth is going to resign in Seattle. But I, I think it's worth pointing out that, if you look around the professional sports landscape in this country, but around the world, when there is a top executive in a league, like there are attempts to poach that executive and to latch onto that executive and to hire that executive. I don't know that that's really happened with Garth Lagerway, and it surprises me. And, you know, I know from our reporting, from my own reporting, you hear whispers of like this team might be interested or that team. But it's not like been an overwhelming. It's been a murmur of like a team here or there. Yeah. yeah. And I don't know. Again, I come from I mean, I come to, at it to from be a fair, point of Garth Lagerwey did get poached once upon a time. Right. A, a long Seattle. time ago. Yeah. A long time seven, ago. Seven years ago. Now. Yeah. Yeah. And so this as an example, like he's a Chicago native. The Fire had an open CSO job a couple years ago and didn't speak to Garth Lagerwey at all. Like, I, that's crazy. I still, I still don't even have words for Like, that. to not even have the conversation to, is... To not even reach out and ask if you can interview him. Right. I mean, it's I mean, he's the best GM in the league. At the bare minimum, wouldn't you want to have that conversation to kind of hear how he does things? So, I'm interested to see if anything picks up for him. If, but, but, like, w- why would he... So... Here's here's what I, I I don't have words right now, but let me let me try and find them. If you're him, you're in Seattle, 
you have the best team. You just won Champions League. You're in the Club World Cup. You're not going to leave just to go be a GM somewhere else, right? You're going to need a vertical move. Like, you're going to need to be running the entire show. And to me, it's been strange that he hasn't gotten that opportunity yet because we've seen it for other, you know, Tim Bezbachenko in Columbus. John Thorrington is now, I believe, co-president along with a, a gentleman on the business side as well as GM in, at LAFC. Um, I don't know. Are there any others? I, I can't I can't remember. I don't know. I Paul McDonough had Porg Smith. Porg Smith. Porg Smith. I believe his title is club president in Colorado. Paul McDonough had um, both in Miami. It's it's a slippery slope. It's a huge... Those are huge jobs. Yeah. Um, I, I think that how you execute those jobs... What you ask but of that those, person. Those three guys that I just mentioned, they're all doing pretty well with it, right? Nelson Rodriguez had it as well. Um, you have to delegate. You have to staff up around those people because you can't do those two jobs by yourself. So, But if you're if you're him, why would you leave for anything less than that? But my question and, is, if you're a team in MLS, why wouldn't you be offering that? That's the uh, bigger I question. I, I don't know. You, I mean, it, it makes sense for Garth to be turning down jobs left and right. It doesn't make sense for Garth to not... Yeah. have his phone ringing <laughs> I, I, yeah i don't i don't know man like i don't know and, and who knows maybe uh maybe vegas gets in the league maybe they try and make a move i don't know i i don't know like, that there's like there's probably a list of like three or four teams that i could say okay they're not they they shouldn't have to call garth Lagerwey. i think it would be pretty crazy if seattle didn't move heaven and earth to keep him well but i guess we'll see i don't disagree the, with you the Sounders fans could vote him out, and it could be moot. <laughs> I don't think that'll happen. But, Paul, we have more to get to in this segment. Uh, another positive story for MLS and American soccer. Jodis Park opened in Nashville, 30,000-seat soccer-specific stadium. Awesome crowd in their, in their opener against Philadelphia on Sunday. Really cool-looking stadium. Pablo Maurer was there, our colleague. He has a story on The Athletic about it. I haven't had the chance to read it yet, but I talked to Pablo about it. I'm excited to read it um, <laughs> and kind of get his impressions from that. Um, Nashville also made some news before they opened the stadium when they announced that they signed two guys, two DP deals, one an extension for Hani Mukhtar maintaining that status and one a new designated player in Walker Zimmerman. And Paul, you wrote a story about this. Why don't you take it away, my man? Yeah, th- this, this, Contract matters because it has league-wide implications. Walker Zimmerman signed a new DP deal that will pay him $10 million across four years, $2.5 million a year. This is a significant amount of money for a player who has never left Major League Soccer to go it's to Europe. It's a lot of money. It's it is money. essentially unprecedented. Um, Jossie Zardes, Ferreira. Jossie Zardes, Darlington, Nagby, and Jesus Ferreira all make DP money, all less than $2 million a year on average. So you're talking about a pretty significant jump there at a position mm-hmm. in general that hasn't gotten paid in Major League Soccer as a center back. Though it's changing. It's starting to change a little bit. But what I think matters here is this is a player who developed Major League Soccer, has been traded twice in his career, and <laughs> has kind of grinded through that. And now I think there are circumstances that led him to leave Dallas to go to L.A. that were different than L.A. to Nashville. He was totally caught off guard by moving from L.A. to Nashville. I think the move from Dallas to L.A. was a little bit of a mutual um, decision there. But 
you know, here is a guy who two-time Defender of the Year, three-time MLS Best 11, fought his way into the starting 11 for the U.S. men's national team and then wore the captain's armband when they qualified for the World Cup in Costa Rica. Just a cool story in general for an individual, a player who has worked to this point. And again, in our anonymous survey, was the top pick by GMs around the league for the player that they would most want to start a roster with, that they were starting a team from scratch. It shows his value in the league. And he got paid in a big way. And that money... That price is going to change that position. It's going to change the valuation of center backs in MLS. And Sam, you and I were talking about this earlier this week, before I think right after the Walker Zimmerman story published. And, you know, we were you're already starting to see a little bit of a trend in MLS of, of teams paying more money for center backs. Um, NYCFC signed a DP center back, Tiago Mar- Martins, yeah. um, this offseason. Um, Carlos Salcedo for Toronto. Carlos Salcedo is around $2 million a year from what I'm hearing. Uh, Houston signed a DP center back. So, Teenage Hedebe, yeah. So we're starting to see some money, some serious money get spent at that position. But this will have a, a major impact on the market for two players. Aaron Long, who's coming out of contract at the end of the year and will be a free agent, and Miles Robinson in Atlanta, who's younger. Both of them are in the national team pool, Long and Robinson, as well as Zimmerman, of course. Um, and I don't think either of them are going to be looking for a contract that's less than $2.5 million a year, <laughs> which is interesting. And and what I think it highlights is the impact of the salary cap and of the limitations of the buckets and the fact that different teams have different models. And in Nashville, the model fit perfectly to give Walker Zimmerman a DP contract. They can afford yeah. to do that. That The way their model works, he is the most important player on that team to the way that they want to play the leadership role he plays, the marketing role he plays in Nashville, and it worked for them. For Atlanta, those DP spots are designated for multi-million dollar transfers from South America for attacking players. That's the model in Atlanta. Unless it's a temporary one like Alan Franco, who later got bought down with Tim. Yeah, and so it's it's less they are less able to pay Miles Robinson DP money. Red Bulls, interesting one. Their model I think would give them room is is pay no one right their like model it. is is there's <laughs> definitely room to pay her as long as a dp if they want to but they have been very reticent to to actually pay people what they're worth to pay big money and to spend much at all um yeah. in major league soccer at least you know since jesse marsh came in as coach and kind of flipped the the model from the Thierry Henry, tim cahill teams. they spent a lot on kaku back in the day um but so yeah. yeah i mean it'll be interesting to see and and you know atlanta's limited in what they can do with my robinson at this point they either have to get him to agree to a tam deal which would mean paying which him he, he's already on one i believe right and they, but basically the max he could do over the next couple of years is somewhere around 1.7 1.8 million so seven hundred thousand per year less than what walker zimmerman's making mm-hmm. um or they have to sell him because there are no internal transfers in Major League Soccer. There's no way you're going to have enough gam to trade for Miles Robinson in this league. And so yeah. I think it would be very difficult to match what you could get internationally on the low end for Miles Robinson yeah. with what you could do in gam realistically in this league. Well, you would get more gam from within the league because you only get so much. You know, it's capped at a million. For a transfer well yeah but i'm talking about actual money 
that matters too what's but what's their motivating factor there who knows maybe maybe they care more about the game we don't we're, we're not having that conversation right so i think with robinson it ends probably with him moving on abroad to your point i think with long he's at an age where i don't think europe is in the cards for him really interesting test case for mls free agency if there's a history there that isn't great with him and the Red Bulls and him wanting to go to Europe and him wanting new contracts and them taking a long time or not letting him go. So I wouldn't be shocked if he just wound down his deal and maybe moved on elsewhere. And Sam, the most interesting part to me is if you read, we, we don't have the long form of the new CBA yet. By the way. Soon. I, soon. Has, it been rati- has it been ratified? Yes. It's, it's literally, it's just the long form is being finalized. And, and, I think we'll we'll see it soon. Okay. But I made some calls to kind of get an idea of how free agency works, what the teams are being told, or the rules are of free agency in this new CBA since we don't have the written rules. And what I was told is essentially what the CBA says is if the contract fits these parameters where we see those caps on how much a player can make, I think it's something like 12.5% of, you know, the previous year's salary up to at least 500,000, whatever. It's very How confusing. much money can Aaron Long make? Basically, it puts him <laughs> somewhere around $1.3 million per year because he makes about if, a million. If he, if he leaves the Red Bulls. If he leaves the Red Bulls. But hmm. the language only says that the league cannot veto a deal ah. at that amount of money. What it doesn't say is that hmm. he can't make more with another team. It's just that the league has the power to veto that deal. Very interesting. So, you know, the league, what will be interesting is how much power do the teams have to push back on the league and say, no, this is how we want to spend our money. How big are, how big are the checks you're writing? I think that's, there's a direct relationship there. Yeah. If you're paying a nine figure expansion fee and you want to sign Aaron Long for 1.9 million instead of 1.3 you can probably throw your weight around with the league office in a pretty meaningful way. And I think there, I think what we know is like, you know, historically the league has pushed back hard on that and has tried to prevent contracts. When Tam first came around, this happened a lot mm-hmm. with American players. It's a big story. Yeah. And if the owners are finally putting their foot down and saying, I want to spend my money this way. And if you're going to allow the bigger teams to spend 10, 12, 15 million dollars on transfer fees for guys who sometimes work out, sometimes don't. Who are you to tell me I can't spend 700,000 more than you want me to spend on this guy who I know what he can do? That is an interesting dynamic to keep an eye on here in, in free agency. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's sort of opening Pandora's box a bit, right? If if you start to say, who are you to tell me how I, can I spend my money? Well, then then you're sort of calling into question the entire construct of the roster rules but in this case it's not breaking a rule it's just no no i know you don't have veto power that's the next step it's it's okay well why do i have to spend it on 3dps why can't we just spread this across the entire roster we're there we have at least one owner who said that on the record to me oh yeah um it wasn't so long ago so we're at that point already and and that's (sighs) why you know here we have another interesting test case and and at the end of the day this is what happens when you have these billionaire owners to your point sam coming in spending hundreds of millions of dollars on expansion fees, hundreds of millions of dollars opening stadiums, hundreds of millions of dollars building training facility, and they have somebody calling them saying, no, 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 we can't approve this deal. Uh, we don't like, you know, we don't like the terms of the deal. And the owner saying, mm, I don't think that's going to work for me. 
And I think we're approaching that. I think we're at that point right now. Paul, you know what's going to work for me? MLS team, Seattle Sounders, CONCACAF Champions League champions. That works for me. Um, congratulations again to Seattle for their achievement. Uh, really excited to see what they do going forward. Really to see, excited to see what MLS teams do going forward in this competition. Um, I think this raises the level for it. Um, anything else you want to say here before we sign off about, about the Sounders or about anything else? Oh, you did have a note on Greg Berhalter and something he told Steve Goff. Yeah, Washington no, Post. I just saw, you know, obviously he, he said to Goff, uh, Cameron Carter Vickers is going to get called in. Haji Red's going to get called in. Looks like John Brooks, perhaps not. Also, you know, alluded to a, a dual national um, who could who could get called in. So it'll be worth keeping an eye on who that could be the last time. Is it you? It's not me, uh, sadly. Me? Um, but I do think that, you know, last time, let, let's not, you know, undervalue Greg Berhalter's ability to recruit. Last time somebody came out of nowhere, it was Yunus Musa, who nobody thought was going to leave England, was captaining the U-19s for the England national team. It's going to play against England in a World Cup for the U.S. Greg Berhalter's got that sick NIL collective going, man. What can you say? <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. He's got, he's got all the shoe deals lined up for the guys. Makes all the difference in the world. Uh, anyway, congrats again to the Sounders. Congrats again to you, listener, for making it through this show. We appreciate you. I'm Sam. He's Paul. This has been Allocation Disorder. Until next week.